Good singing as well. I noticed it as well. You guys sang uh, wonderfully this morning. And uh, as you turn to Exodus 18, let me, I just want to kind of add a few announcements and uh, kind of go through some, some family uh, stuff together. Obviously, last week we kind of took a break from the book of Exodus and talked about uh, what we learned from death, and we, we gave consideration to the reality that God had taken uh, one of our beloved uh, from us and uh, brought her to heaven, and so we continue to mourn the, the loss of our sister Elizabeth. Um, just, just so you know, uh, just kind of a moment for us to think as a family together. Um, uh, I, I know that at some point, you know, the, the Venables will be back here at church, the Farneys will be back here at church. Many of you, you, you know this as well, but um, Miss Janet Perkins and Elizabeth were best friends since junior high. I mean, they literally spent their lives together, and so Miss Janet is really grieving at this time as well. And I think sometimes when someone who's gone through great suffering and it's kind of their first time back at church or it's a, your first time with them again, and I, I don't know if you're like me, but sometimes I'm not exactly sure what to say or not exactly sure how to, how to approach, you know, what exactly are the, what am I supposed to say or what am I supposed to do? And just so you know, if, if you're wondering, first of all, I would say this, it's always right to move toward the person, right? Like, don't feel like, oh, I'm just going to avoid them. I, I think it's right for us to show love. Um, I think you give a hug, you let them know that you're praying for them, that you love them, that you're glad to see them. Um, and then I think you want to be kind of careful with what questions you ask at that point, right? So to say to them, how are you doing? If they're, if they're grieving, they're grieving. And they may not even in the moment know exactly how they're doing. That, that could be a challenging question for someone who is grieving to answer sometimes, especially kind of there on the spur of the moment. And so... Um, Unless you know you have time to sit down with them and then kind of really ask them how how are you how are you doing really how can I how can I pray for you what are you processing is there anything you want to talk about um, but sometimes when you're just in the moment and you've just got a quick moment with them to let them know that you love them that you're praying for them that you're glad to see them those are all wonderful things um, to uh, to share with someone who is kind of going through uh, the grieving process and so um, we want to continue to remember them and our hearts continue to to hurt with them. Uh, but like family life, uh, as family life goes on, there's just there there's there's things that we grieve, and then there's things that we're that we're joyful about, all kind of all w- within uh, the same week. And so, I, as I look across the auditorium this morning, there's several things that I'm excited to see, and people I'm excited to see. It's good to have Doug Steinkruger visiting here with us. Uh, leave it to antelope season to bring him to Liberty Baptist Church. We'll take it whenever we can get it. Um, it's good to see Doug, though. Doug was the only member that we ever voted out before we voted out. Um, so technically, he was never a member at Liberty, even when he was a member at Liberty. And if you were here that Sunday, you know exactly what I'm talking about. It's also good to see the Griggs. Is, um, I, I am not able to come up with your child's name off the top of my head. And the harder I think, try to think of it, the farther away it's getting. Lila. I, I know that, but I was not going to remember it under the lights and the pressure of trying to remember it. Is this her first Sunday? Well, Congratulations, Lila. Um, we're glad. I can't. I mean, I'm looking. Mark is in the way um, of me even seeing Lila, so I'm not even going to look that direction anymore. That's not what I want to um, be looking at when I think about Lila. Um, so, Lila, welcome this morning. Please behave. Um, and if she starts to preach, that's okay. A lot of the babies do that around here anyway. So, uh, my my theory is that with some of our, especially the babies that um, are part of the families here, like they. I have this theory that I, it really makes me feel good. I have no idea if there's any legitimacy to it, but I think they know my voice because they've heard it every Sunday for nine months before they're born. So I, 
someone shared that with me once, and I was like, oh, yeah, of course. Of course, that's true. So Lila and I already have a special connection because she's heard me lots of times. And I, uh, I, w- I wish it w- I had the effect of putting babies to sleep. Your granddaughter, on the other hand, has no interest whatsoever. She competes with me on a regular basis on Sunday, and I guess that's okay as well. Uh, last Sunday, I congratulated Len and Justine on their recent engagement. I told you, I told you that they were going to have a wedding very soon, uh, a small private wedding very soon. So th- last Sunday, I congratulated them on their engagement. This Sunday, I congratulate them on their wedding. Len and Justine got married just this last week. It was not eloping because I was there and did the wedding for them. Um, and so, but they did. They didn't. You know, I mean, look, I appreciate a man who knows what he wants and is like, hey. I'm ready to get married. Let's do this thing. And so Lynn and Justine are Lynn and Justine Pretorius, and I think she's uh, upstairs uh, working in the nursery this morning. So congratulations to Lynn and Justine, and we will be having a church reception for them um, at some point. It probably won't happen quite as fast as your, uh, and you're going to have to wait more than three days uh, on the church reception. So anyway, seriously, if you've gotten a chance to know uh, this couple, they are, they're wonderful, they're great. I'm so thankful to have them here as part of our church, and uh, they really do. They do a lot of kind of behind-the-scenes ministry and stuff here right now, but um, I'm, I'm thankful that God has them here, God has them in our community, and that God has them here at Liberty Baptist as well. So that's what I mean. You know, in the course of a week, you have a funeral, and you have a wedding, and you have deaths, and you have births, and this is how God has set up our world to work, and we cry and laugh, and, um, and we, we live together as a family. And, uh, and one of my hopes and my prayers, one of my desires is that this room full of people will really see each other as family. Um, we need more than just to come together once a week to hear me talk. Um, you, you need each other in order to live the lives that God's called you to live. And so um, I love the way that you are ministering to each other. I, I, I love hearing about ministry that happens that I didn't know about. You know what I mean? Like that it just, oh, so-and-so's doing this. So-and-so's discipling this person. These people are having lunch together. These people are serving each other and caring for one another. I love that. Keep it up. Exodus chapter 18. What comes to your mind when I talk about family reunions? Yeah, like I think there's probably a mixed, uh, uh, even in this room, there's kind of mixed experiences as to uh, to family reunions. How many of you uh, experience family reunions on a relatively regular basis? Some type of family reunions, whether it's every year, every other year, something like that. Okay, hands down. How many of you are just like, no, like that's just not a thing. We don't do family reunions. Okay, a lot of you don't do family reunions. Okay, I, 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 thought, I thought that was like an everybody thing. Um, yeah, for some people, family reunions, um, like there's just nothing that is more exciting to you, right? Like, yes, we're all going to get together, and we're going to stay under one roof for a week. And for, uh, <laughs> for others of you, yeah, you'd be like, okay. And, and I have an unofficial rule. This is not Bible, right? Okay, I'm going to take my pastoral hat off and say for a second. There she goes, Lila. Yeah, she's amen. That's just an amen. That's just a good, hearty amen. Um, for other, so my unofficial rule is three days and two nights is enough, even if your family is the most wonderful family. Everybody's nodding their heads. Many of you are nodding their heads. Even if you have the greatest family in the world, three days and two nights is plenty. Um, and for others of you, you're like, no, like, I mean, like, we'll, if we're driving through town, we'll stop and see you maybe, right? But other than that, like, family reunions are not, not, such, a, not such a great thing. Family, uh, family is an interesting thing, right? Family can bring blessing or pain, 
um, there's a reason, uh, you know, I mean, we make mother-in-law jokes. Um, and, uh, and I can honestly say mother-in-law jokes kind of fall flat with me. I have a wonderful mother-in-law. Um, so that one, I mean, I, I get why they're funny, but like, I, I dare not laugh um, because uh, my mother-in-law would kill me. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I have a, I have a wonderful relationship. Um, this morning, we're going to look in Exodus chapter 18, and we're going to see a family reunion. We're going to see a family reunion happen here in Exodus 18. It's a, it's a story that you may be somewhat familiar with, um, and uh, I'm going to try to read it in such a way that maybe we would shed some light and see some things in this chapter that we haven't seen before. Exodus chapter 18, I'm going to read the whole chapter. We're going to preach through the whole chapter together. Or I'm going to preach. We're going to look at the whole chapter together this morning. Exodus chapter 18 starts with the name of a man who for many of us conjures up an old 1950s television program, Jethro. So how many of you immediately see in your mind's eye Jethro? Is it Bodine? Is that right? Is that his last name? Yeah, Jethro Bodine. Yes, okay. I think that's fine with me if you want a picture of that Jethro. Jethro, the priest of Midian, Moses' father-in-law, right? So that means that Jethro's daughter, Zipporah, married Moses. Moses' father-in-law heard of all that God had done for Moses and for the Israel uh, and for Israel, his people, how the Lord had brought Israel out of Egypt. Right, uh, Jethro wasn't there when God was delivering Israel from Egypt. Now Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, had taken Zipporah, Moses's wife, after he had sent her home along with her two sons. So at some point, and we don't know why, but at some point Moses had sent Zipporah and his two sons back to Jethro. At some point during the Exodus, before the Exodus, during the Exodus, at some, while they're wandering in Sinai, at some point, Zipporah and the boys go home. The name of one son was Gershom. And then he gives the reason why Moses had named him Gershom. For he said, I have been a sojourner in a foreign land. And the name of the other, Eliezer. For he said, the God of my father was my help and delivered me from the sword of Pharaoh. So in Bible times, people's names were given with great intentionality and, 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 uh, and meaning and, and definition. Verse 5, Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, came with his sons and his wife to Moses in the wilderness where he encamped at the mountain of God. So mountain of God, we're going to learn here in the next chapter, is, uh, is, the, is Mount Sinai. And just by the way, just so you know, next week starts for us... Um, a new like section in the book of Exodus, and I'll introduce all that next week. But that here they are approaching, anyway, the mountain of God. They're approaching Mount Sinai. And when he sent word to Moses, I, your father-in-law Jethro, am coming to you with your wife and her two sons with her. When Moses heard this, verse 7, he went out to meet his father-in-law and bowed down and kissed him, and they asked each other of their welfare and went into the tent and Moses told his father-in-law all that the Lord had done to Pharaoh and to the Egyptians for Israel's sake. All the hardship that had come upon them in the way and how the Lord had delivered them. And Jethro rejoiced for all the good that the Lord had done to Israel and that he had delivered them out of the hand of the Egyptians. Jethro said, Blessed be the Lord who has delivered you out of the hand of the Egyptians and out of the hand of Pharaoh and has delivered the people from under the hand of the Egyptians. Verse 11 is an important verse. It's worth noting here for a second. Notice the next thing that Jethro says. Now 
I know that the Lord, Yahweh, now I know that the Lord is greater than all gods, because in this affair, they dealt arrogantly with the people. And Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, brought a burnt offering and sacrifices to God. And Aaron came with all the elders of Israel to eat bread with Moses' father-in-law before God. The next day, Moses sat, and now we're kind of, you know, the sun comes up the next day. We're to a new scene here. The next day, Moses sat to judge the people. And the people stood around Moses from morning till evening. When Moses' father-in-law saw all that he was doing for the people, he said, what is this that you're doing for the people? Why do you sit alone and all the people stand around you from morning till evening? And Moses said to his father-in-law, because the people come to me to inquire of God. When they have a dispute, they come to me and decide between one person and another, and I make them know the statutes of God and his laws. Moses' father-in-law said to him, Boy, I don't know if boy is in the original. It may not be in the original, but you can imply. Boy, what you're doing is not good. You and the people with you will certainly wear yourselves out, for the thing is too heavy for you. You're not able to do it alone. Now obey my voice. I will give you advice, and God be with you. You shall represent the people before God and bring their cases to God, and you shall warn them about the statutes and the laws and make known the way in which they must walk and what they must do. Moreover, do this. Look for able men from all the people, men who who fear God, who are trustworthy and hate a bribe, and place such men over the people as chiefs of thousands, of hundreds, of fifties, and tens, and let them judge people at all times. Every great matter they shall bring to you, but any small matter they shall decide themselves. So it will be easier for you, and they will bear the burden with you. If you do this, God will direct you. You will be able to endure, and all this people also will go to their place in peace. So Moses, unlike many of us, listened to the voice of his father-in-law and did all that he said. Moses chose able men out of Israel and made them heads over the people, chiefs of thousands, of hundreds, of fifties, and tens, and they judged the people at all times. Any hard case they brought to Moses, but any smaller matter they decided themselves. Then Moses let his father-in-law depart, and he went away to his own country. Father, would you please help us as we look in your word this morning? I pray that we would see that there is great blessing uh, for those who will minister for you happily and humbly. And we pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. This morning, as we look in Exodus chapter 18, we are titling this sermon this, Jethro's Blessing. Jethro's Blessing in Exodus chapter 18. And you might think, well, is this referring to a blessing that Jethro gives to someone else, or is this a blessing that Jethro is receiving from someone else? And the answer is yes, both. Both of those things are happening right here in Exodus chapter 18. Here's the main point. The main point is this. God brings blessing through happy and humble ministry. 
God brings blessing through happy and humble ministry. You want the blessing of God? Then be active in ministry and be happily and humbling, humbly ministering. And we're going to see that very clearly here this morning. And I've got two big points, two main sections as we look at Exodus chapter 18, verses 1 through 12. Uh, we look at the, how Moses blessed Jethro, and then verses 13 through 27, we'll see how Jethro blessed Moses. Okay? Main point, God brings blessing through happy and humble ministry. Point number one, or section number one here in Exodus chapter 18, we see how Moses blessed Jethro. And the first thing that we see here is a family reunion. I've mentioned that already this morning. Jethro it finds where Moses and the people of Israel are encamped here in the wilderness. And Jethro decides that he is going to bring Zipporah and the boys, and they are going to go see, uh, see Moses. And like I said earlier, we don't know exactly when Zipporah and the boys went back to see her father, uh, or exactly why they went back to see her father. That, those details aren't given to us. But Moses, or, uh, Jethro rather, was a Midianite, and he lived in the land of Midian. He would have been acquainted and familiar. Remember when Moses, when Moses left Egypt after he killed the Egyptian, and he wandered around in the land of Midian? And so he wandered in this Sinai Peninsula area, an area where shepherds would have taken their sheep throughout that country. Moses was out there. That's when he met Zipporah. That's when he uh, married Zipporah and came into this family. And while Moses was in this family, God blessed him with two sons. And Moses named one Gershom. And you remember that means, I have been a sojourner. So Moses recognizes, I'm not with my people. I'm not with the Israelites. I'm here in the land of Midian. I've married a foreigner and now we have a son, and I'm a sojourner in a foreign land. Like it, it would be like someone naming their child Refugee. What's the name of your little baby? Uh, his name is Refugee. And you would be like, I know what that word means. I understand. Exa- I'm not sure why you named your child that, but I know what that word means. When Moses shares the name of his son, people would understand, well, it means that I'm a stranger, I'm a sojourner in a foreign land. And then God gives him another son, Eliezer. And Moses, again, is telling part of his story when he names his son. He names this son, the God of my father was my help. And so Moses is actually, even in the naming of his children, he's telling his life story. He's telling, he's telling the fact that he's a foreigner in this land, but God is his help. And just a really quick aside. As Moses tells his story in the naming of his children, he tells the story, I'm a foreigner in this land, and God is my help. Whose story does that sound like? That sounds like that's, that's our story. That is our story as well. We are, remember we talked about this is the wilderness. We, we live in a foreign land. We, we struggle with brokenness even as we make our way toward the promised land someday during as we make our way through the wilderness we are sojourners in this land, but God is our help. And as Matt turned our attention to that through the Psalms that he read this morning and prayed through this morning, and as Josh turned our attention to that as we sang those songs uh, together this morning, and now we look into God's Word and we see Mo- even Moses saying, God is our help. He is the one who, will, who brings us through our wilderness wanderings. And so Moses here is reunited with his wife and his sons. And, and Moses when he finds out that uh, his father-in-law and his, his wife and sons are coming, Moses does something that's a little bit interesting. Look down in verse 7. When he finds out that his wife and sons are coming, Moses went out to meet his 
wife and gave her a big hug and invited her into the tent and told everybody else to go away. Moses doesn't doesn't welcome everyone maybe the exact same way we would welcome everyone. Moses actually starts by welcoming his father-in-law. And in the, the time, this time of, uh, uh, in history, culturally speaking, Moses was showing great honor to his father-in-law. There's a, there's, there are, I, I almost divided this into two sermons. In hindsight, maybe I should have. We're going to try to cover all of chapter 18 in one fell swoop here this morning. But think about the significance of showing honor to our families. Moses starts by usually, now Moses was a man of great importance. When Jethro shows up and sees a million plus people, what, what I, I, I meant to look this up and I failed to. Is, is, there, what, is there a city, like what's a city in the United States that would be right about a million? Does anybody know off the top of their heads? I don't, I don't even have a clue. Like, what is, what is Dallas, Dallas-Fort Worth? Is that multi-million? Oh, it's that many. Okay. See, I don't, I'm, not, I'm, I'm terrible. What's that? Lubbock? Okay. So, so the governor of Lubbock, like the guy who's in charge of that many people, I mean, he, he's going to hold a position of honor. His tent is probably going to be a little bit nicer and bigger than everyone else's, and you probably got to go through people to get to him. And, then, and at this, during this time, it would have been culturally normal for the man of honor to actually wait in his tent for the visitor to come, and the visitor would be invited into his tent. And that, would sh- that was a way to show honor to the visitor by the person of honor waiting and the visitor coming into his presence. But Moses does something that he, he's, he's going outside of his tent. He's going to his father-in-law Jethro. He's bowing down to his father Jethro. He kisses his father, Jethro. He brings Jethro into the tent. And here's a little detail that some of you may not be aware of yet. But once I point it out to you, it's going to become abundantly clear to you in this passage. There's something really significant about Jethro to this point. Jethro is the priest of Midian. Was Jethro a follower of Yahweh? He was not a follower of Yahweh. Jethro, ready, drum roll, was a pagan. Jethro, to this point in his life, is not a follower of the one true God. When we read Priest of Midian, at least I, I did until I began to study the book of Exodus, I just thought, oh, like he's a religious leader. Oh, that's great. You know, Moses married Zipporah, of course. You know, he marries the preacher's daughter, that sort of thing. No, no, it's not, it's not like that at all. And here Moses is going out to the leader of a pagan you know, religious system, and he's showing great honor to his father-in-law. He invites him into his tent, and then Moses actually does do something that's incredibly important here. Moses begins to testify to this religious leader of the greatness, the supremacy, the number oneness of the one true God. So Moses is being kind, loving, generous, winsome, and he's saying in no uncertain terms, Yahweh is better than all other gods. And brothers and sisters, there's a lot for us to learn even in how we witness to other people, right? Just because someone believes differently than we do doesn't mean we make fun of them or put down on them or are unkind to them. We can welcome them with, with, with honor and kisses, right, into our homes, 
And yet Moses begins here in verse um, 8 to explain to Jethro, Moses told his father-in-law all that the Lord had done to Pharaoh and to the Egyptians for Israel's sake. Now, can you imagine the level of detail that Moses is going to be telling Jethro about? Now, it was almost unbelievable, but like I threw my, my staff, you see that staff leaning in the corner? I threw that thing down, and I promise you, it turned into a snake. I'm not kidding. I can't make this stuff up, Jethro. I threw it down. It turned into a snake. And you know how much I hate snakes, man. I hate snakes. And I was looking for a different staff to beat up that staff. But, but God told me to reach out and touch it, grab it by the tail, which you know, everybody knows you don't grab a snake by the tail because it's going to bite you. But I grabbed it by the tail, and it turned back into a staff. And in each of the ten plagues, he recounts in that final night where the firstborn is slain, and then they march out into Egypt or in, into the wilderness, and the waters part, and they go through the Red Sea, and and Pharaoh's army is, and, and Moses is just recounting all these things to Jethro, and Jethro is sitting there in wide-eyed, I would say disbelief, but the Bible tells us he believed, and wide-eyed belief, he's hearing Moses testify of the greatness of God. Moses told his father and all that the Lord had done. He told, he told Jethro about the salvation of the Lord, the salvation that God had brought to Israel. And notice what's interesting here is even as Moses is recounting to Jethro all that God had done, if I had been in Moses' shoes here in this moment and I was talking to my father-in-law and all God had done all these great things, I can guarantee you that I would be slipping in some details about how I was the one who kind of, I mean, God was there, but like I definitely was holding my hands up and the staff up, you know, when we gained victory over the Amalekites. It was pretty amazing. And, and then I took my staff and I, you know, and God helped me and I struck the rock and water came out. You know, like, that's, that's how I would be telling the story if my father-in-law were in the room. I'd kind of want him to know, and you know, Zipporah did a good job. I mean, she could have you know, probably married other people, but she married me. And aren't you glad that your daughter married me? There's no hint of that as Moses is explaining to Jethro what God has done. So often when we tell a story, we want to frame it with ourselves as the hero. Moses is not doing that. He is clearly making God the hero as he's having this family reunion and he's testifying to the greatness of Yahweh. And there, there are just a lot of lessons for us to learn even as we're watching this Old Testament story, when you share the good news with other people, do you make it sound like it was a wise choice that you made? Or do you just paint it clearly, I was a sinner, I deserved damnation, but God, by his grace, rescued me. God is the God of salvation. Moses is here telling about how God saved Israel. And he's making it clear Israel deserved the enslavement. Israel deserved the punishment, but God came and rescued Israel. And when we share the gospel with other people, brothers and sisters, we need to be sharing with them the fact that God is a mighty and powerful God who um, is, uh, has a strong arm to save. We should speak of how God saved us and how God will save others. And I think it's interesting here, right? Often, it's the people that we're closest to that we're most hesitant to share the gospel with. Is that true in your life? I, I know it's true in my life. 
it's like if there's a family member who I, I'm not so sure is really a born-again Christian, like they really know Jesus Christ as their Savior, I just think, well, here, here's how I justify it. Eh, they know what I believe. They know, like I don't have to tell them. I don't have to try to push my religion on them. I don't want to strain our relationship. I, I don't have to tell them again. Like they know what I believe. I think they know. I mean, they know that I go to church. They, and they've probably been to church before. I mean, I've never told them what I believe, and I've never encouraged them to put their faith in the one God of salvation. But, and, and brothers and sisters, I know that often it's been the people that are closest to me, the people that I interact with the most. We always talk about who we witness to on, in, on an airplane. Uh, that's the easiest place in the universe to witness to someone, right? They're, they're stuck next to you, so you have to engage in conversation, right? So at some point, you think, well, I'm, here, here goes. I'm going to you know, I've only got 30 minutes till we land, and I'm never going to see this person again, so of course I can share the gospel with them. And I'm not discounting the significance. I mean, share the gospel with anyone and everyone. But Moses is going to someone who's very close. He's bringing into his tent someone who's very close to him, and he's sharing with them the supremacy. He's telling uh, Jethro, whom he knows Jethro does not follow Yahweh, Right? He, he already knows. And sometimes it's hard for us to share the gospel with someone who we know is coming from a different uh, religion, a different vantage point, right? Like the, you, you know not only are they not believers, but they, they believe something else, and they believe it passionately. They know what they believe and why they believe it. And uh, they, they probably know what I believe, so I'll, I'm not going to broach that subject with them. And Moses just dives right in with someone who's really close to him and someone who believes very differently than he believes. We should speak of how God saved us. So do you? Are there people in your life whom you've known for years and years, but that you're unwilling or scared to share the good news with? Or you think, I've known them so long now, it would be really weird if I tried to share the gospel with them. And I just want to encourage you to figure out a way to make it as weirdless as possible. And even if it's weird, just dive right in. Um, our, our friends, our family, the people in our lives uh, need to hear from us the good news of the gospel. I read in a book, one, one man who uh, excelled at telling the gospel truth was a man named Edward Studd. Studd was his last name, Edward Studd. Some of you are familiar with the famous pastor uh, uh, C.T. Studd. So this was C.T. Studd's dad, Okay. Studd was a wealthy Englishman who led a life of ease and entertainment until he was converted by the preaching of D.L. Moody. Edward Studd's sons were away at school at the time, so they didn't know anything about what had happened to their father. They were shocked when they arrived back home, or excuse me, when he arrived at Eton, which is where they were in school, in the middle of the semester, and instead of taking them to the theater, as was his custom, he took his sons, C.T. being one of them, to hear Dwight L. Moody preach. C.T. Studd, the son of this Edward Studd, later said, before that time, I used to think that religion was a Sunday thing, like one's clothes to be put away on Monday morning. We boys were brought up to go to church regularly, but Although we had a kind of religion, it didn't amount to much. Then all at once, I had the good fortune to meet a real, live Christian. It was my father. 
the significance of this family relationship, right? A son realizes, my dad was this way. He came and visited me at college. We, were, we're, we normally go watch a movie, but instead he takes me to hear this rabid evangelist. I met a real, live Christian, my own father. But it did make one's hair stand on end. I thought that was, I think that's interesting the way he described Like, dad showed up, and dad was, like, made my hair stand on end. Everyone in the house had a dog's life of it until they were converted. I was not altogether pleased with him. He used to come into my room at night and ask if I was converted. Here, C.T. Studd is describing when dad got saved, it was, it was a dog's life in the house until everybody else got converted. Like dad, like dad was just going to keep preaching the gospel to us until, until we were converted. And brothers and sisters, I'm afraid that something now, maybe Edward Studd went too far in one direction, but we're so far in the other direction, we could use a little stud in our lives to get us back to center, Right? Some of us need to have this kind of fervor. Do we really believe that God, through Jesus Christ, that, 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 that salvation only comes to those who have put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ? And if you believe that, then, then that means that this message, this story, is exclusive. Other religions don't get you to heaven. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. Now, hear me clearly, right? There are people in other denominations, people who claim other faith practices, and their faith is in Jesus Christ. But I'm talking about those who would say, no, like my faith is not in Jesus Christ alone for my salvation. I'm doing works. I'm trusting this. Like I, I don't believe in the Christian message of the Bible. Right? Like for, for those, brothers and sisters, we, we need to be willing to make their hair stand on end with the fervor of our belief that Jesus Christ is the only way. And like Moses, um, let the message be the thing that would offend people, not your life. Moses was honoring and kind and welcoming and bringing people, right? Like he was being kind and gracious and honorable to his father. But he still clearly proclaimed that God, of, the God of Israel, was the God of salvation. And then we see... In verse 9 and 10, something that is clearly the conversion of Father Jethro. Verse 9, Jethro rejoiced for all the good that the Lord had done to Israel and that he had delivered them out of the hand of the Egyptians. <coughs> Jethro said, Blessed be the Lord who has delivered you out of the hand of the Egyptians and out of the hand of Pharaoh and has delivered the people from under the hand of the Egyptians. Now I know that Yahweh is greater than all the gods. You see, as priest of Midian, Jethro would have been aware that there were different tribal uh, deities and different gods that were worshipped by different people, and he really had no problem letting Moses go be a follower of Yahweh. That, that, that was no threat to his polytheism, that he believed that there would be many gods. But now Jethro is coming to the place where he realizes, whoa, 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 this God. Remember, as we have worked our way through the book of Exodus over and over again, God has told Moses, do these things so that the nations will see that I am the one and true God, that I am the God over all other gods. And Jethro comes to that understanding. He realizes Moses, the God of Israel, the God has saved you out of Egypt and delivered you through hardships. Moses doesn't spare him from the hardships. In verse um, 
verse that says, through many hardships, he brought us out of Egypt. Verse 8. Yes, verse 8. All the hardships that had come upon them in the way. So Moses tells them, yes, God delivers us, but there were a lot of hardships, but God has saved us from those as well. And so Jethro hears these things, and Jethro believes. Was Jethro there to witness all of those things? No. He believes based on the authoritative testimony of someone who had experienced the saving work of God. Do you know what, how that should encourage you as an evangelist? That, that you get to go with the message of the saving work of God into the lives of other people and trust that God will use that message to change the heart and mind of someone else. This is exactly what happens here in the life of Jethro. Now I know that the Lord is greater than all the gods. Remember that... Um, uh, Jethro, Jethro here confesses his belief in God, and, it, and it's obvious that Jethro becomes a genuine follower of, of, of Yahweh, of God. And the reason we know that is in verse, um, verse 12, And Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, brought a burnt offering and sacrifices to God. Right? So Jethro immediately sees he's worthy of me giving my my resources for. I'm sacrificing to this God. This God is the one true God, and he's worth my investment of time, energy, resources. I'm sacrificing to this God. And not only do we see that he's sacrificing to this God, but the, the, the religious leaders in Israel are, are coming along. It, this isn't just Jethro adding another God to his list of deities. It appears that he is so genuinely converted that Aaron and Moses and the elders of Israel join in. They're, they're having a evangelism salvation party together. They are, they are, they're, have, they're throwing a conversion party as uh, Jethro uh, confesses to be a follower of the one true God. He sees that the God of Israel is the one who is the one true God. And friends, many of us have unsaved family members. Many of you still have unsaved family members. You have, you have family members that you love, whom you honor, who you welcome into your home. And I want to encourage you with this. Continue as you speak with them. Continue to proclaim to them the strength and the might of the one true God who has sent his son, Jesus Christ, to live for them and to die for them so that if they'll turn from their way and put their faith in Christ, they too can be saved. You, you evangelize like Moses evangelized. And what happens here is that Moses blesses Jethro. There is a blessing that comes to Jethro because of Moses' willingness to show him love and honor and respect and then invite him into his home and share the gospel of Jesus with him. But not only does Moses bless Jethro, but Jethro also blesses Moses, and this brings us to the second scene here, verses 13 through 27. I love how just intensely practical the Bible is. I mean, Jethro sees what Moses is doing here, and I'm not going to go through every single line here in this section, but Jethro sees that Moses is slap worn out from taking care of all the problems of the people of Israel, and Jethro you know, apparently is some kind of wise, savvy businessman, shepherd guy. And he's looking back and going, well, that would be like me trying to take care of all my sheep all by myself. And it's impressive, Moses, that there are a million people following you around in the desert. It is a miracle that you haven't ruined everybody with the way that you're doing things. 
Jethro now brings wisdom and observations uh, into the life of Moses that's going to bless Moses intensely and very practically. Moses has some problems here that likely he didn't even know he had. Isn't that true for us so often? They're called blind spots because we're blind to them. I just want to make several observations as we kind of wrap up this section uh, in in, uh, in this chapter. Several observations from this passage. First of all, even as God's people had been saved from Israel or from Egypt and were wandering in the wilderness, they still had problems. They still had problems. Do you ever feel like, well, now that I'm a Christian, I shouldn't have problems? We may be inclined to think that, but nowhere are we promised that we aren't going to have problems. God's people still had problems, even though they were saved. They were st- from Egypt, they were in the wilderness, and they still had problems, and you and I still have problems. Another observation, God's people needed help working through their problems. I know a lot of us, when we have a problem, we think, I don't want any help from anyone. I got this. I'm sure it'll get better. I'll just take care of it by myself, right? And it's like leaving something that you know isn't going to get any better, you know, alone, Assuming it will, I remember. Um, you know, we we took a missions trip to uh, to Togo, uh, and and several of the guys here in the room uh, went with us about a year and a half, almost two years ago, year and a half ago. Um, and I remember uh, Dr. Kendall, Tommy, as we call him. Um, he he would talk about how that there in that country, often someone would experience would have some kind of a physical ailment. Let's say they got a cut on their toe, and that cut goes completely unattended for days, weeks, months, and it gets infected, and it gets badly infected. And then the next thing, you know, there's gangrene in the toe, and that, like, I don't need to paint a vivid picture for you. It, it's gross. And as I recall, he mentioned even one time having to amputate someone's foot with something that started as an ingrown toenail. Ingrown toenail, now I don't have a foot anymore. Brothers and sisters, sometimes spiritually we allow that same sort of thing to happen. I got so caught up in my illustration right there, I almost forgot what I was illustrating. I was like, what was that? What am, why am I talking about uh, ingrown toenails? Um, sometimes spiritually we think, you know, I'm just going to ignore this thing. I'm not going to bring help. I'm not going to get help from anyone else in this. Um, when I do premarital counseling, Lynn and Justine just heard this within the last week. Um, when I do premarital counseling with people, I say, look, premarital counseling is great. It's not nearly as important as postmarital counseling. And let me just say it again to this whole congregation, most of whom are married. You need postmarital counseling. You do. Like, nobody in here gets off without it. There is not a couple in here that I look at and think they probably either didn't ever need it or don't need it or won't ever need it. Sorry, a lot of great people in here. I love all of you. You all need it. Angie and I have needed it, will need it again, right? Like, it's this. So, we, we need the wisdom of other people to look at us and go, hey, you know what? You could actually use a little bit of help here. Here's the problem. We're so stinking proud that we don't, we say we want to be discipled by the older generation, but then we want no one to have any interference. We don't want to hear from anybody else about how we should rear our kids or do whatever, whatever, whatever the thing is, right? Like we think, yeah, I want it, but, I, but don't give it to me. Friends, we need to be people who are humble. Remember, blessing comes to those, what was my main point? I got it written down here somewhere. God brings blessing through happy and humble ministry, right? Moses is happily ministering to his father-in-law who is blessed. Moses is humbly listening to his father-in-law and he is blessed. Moses is the one 
who was humble enough to listen to his father-in-law and happily ministering to his father-in-law and blessing is just squirting out in every direction. Now, we've read enough of Exodus to know that Moses is not perfect, but he's doing some things that are worthy of our attention and emulation here this morning. God's people need help working through problems. You need help. Get help. Don't be so proud. as to, the, the, the only couple that I worry about is the couple who never, ever needed marital counseling. You're the ones that I worry about, okay? Another observation, this work that was happening here as they worked their way through the wilderness, it was more than one man could handle, obviously, right? I mean, a million plus people, one guy's going to hear all of the squabbles, the difficulties, the problems that are happening as a million people are walking through the desert. Yes, there's going to be problems. People's fuses are going to be short. People are going to get upset with each other. There's going to be big problems and little problems that become big problems, And it was more than one man could handle. Moses wasn't the Savior. And it's interesting that this passage paints a picture for us that Moses was worn out and the people were worn out. Because Moses wasn't practicing a wise, effective model of leadership, even the people he was leading were worn out. It was more than one man could handle. And God used the wisdom of Moses' father-in-law to bless Moses. Moses' father-in-law, Jethro, basically says, divide and conquer, right? Appoint people over thousands, hundreds, fifties, and tens. Let them help you carry the weight of the smaller disputes. Disputes. And if the harder issues as they arise and they need your counsel and input, utilizing the plurality, you see where I'm going with this, the plurality of wise men ministering around you, God used Moses' father-in-law's wisdom to bless Moses and so Moses follows Jethro's advice. And, and the advice that, Moses, or that Jethro gives is solid biblical advice. They looked for a certain kind of man. There was a certain kind of leader that they were looking for. And it wasn't just, and this is where we get it wrong so often, it wasn't the guys with the most money or the guys with the biggest business or the guys with the most leadership credentials or the guys with the greatest education or the guys who owned the most land or the guys who, it wasn't those guys. Now, it, it, it could have been, but those weren't the things that they were told to look for. They were told to look for uh, issues of character, to find a certain kind of man and make that kind of man. Look in verse 21. Look for able men from all the people. Men who, able, able in what way? Men who fear God, who are trustworthy and hate a bribe, and place such men over the people. Place those kind of men over the people. Men who live their lives in the fear of the Lord. And, and uh, I, 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 uh, remember, fear of the Lord is not being so afraid of God that you aren't willing to approach Him. The fear of the Lord is having the, the, uh, the fear of the Lord that keeps you from running away. It's not that you're afraid to go to Him. You're afraid to want, run away from Him. Brothers and sisters, as, as you consider your own life, are you someone who walks in the fear of God? You, you want to know God. You know Him through His Word. You keep His commandments. Moses says, find men who fear the Lord, men who are trustworthy. So, so a man's reputation is going to go before him as well. Is he someone who's, who's uh, honest in his business dealings? Is he someone who, when he says one thing, he does that thing? That's the thing that's true for that man. Is he, is he a trustworthy man? 
Is he someone who hates a bribe? There's no financial incentive to anything that he's doing um, when it comes to essences, uh, to his character. Too many churches, unfortunately, I'm already making application here, too many churches choose men who are successful at business to serve as leadership in the church. And God is calling men to have ability, that's ability in the area of character, men who would represent God well. Brothers and sisters, those principles, the principles that God gave through Jethro to Moses for finding men to serve the the nation of Israel, those same principles are for us in the church today. And we spent a lot of time in the last couple of years going through, especially 1 Timothy and Titus, and understanding God's intention for the church is that there be a multiplicity, that there be a plurality of men who would serve the church in a way to carry the burdens, to shepherd the sheep, to minister to the people here in our church. One pastor is not ideal, even for a small church. Any church that can work its way toward having a multiplicity of men who can serve that church in, in, uh, in spiritual capacities, that is God's intention. Jesus is the head of the church, but God has established a plurality of elders, a plurality of pastors as the ideal for the New Testament church for the spiritual leadership of the church. And God has established a plurality of deacons for helping address and meet the physical needs of the New Testament church. And I'm thankful that our church has a plurality of both, both pastors and deacons who serve the church well. And let me remind you again, maybe some of you have come since we've walked through all of that before, but I want to remind you that Pastor Matt, Pastor Will can't be here this morning, but Pastor Matt and Pastor Will are every bit as much a pastor to you as I am. You have freed me up to give my time full time to the needs and the attentions of the church, but my pastoral care for your life does not in some way exceed that of these other men. That's why you as a church voted and said, yes, we want these men to pastor us, to shepherd us, to be uh, invested in our hearts and in our lives and in our families. Their ministry is real, biblical, and, and, and faithful and pastoral. So in conclusion... Looking at Exodus 18 as a whole again, here God, uh, we see the blessing of Jethro, both into his life through the happy ministry of Moses and blessing from Jethro through the humble ministry of, did I say Joseph? Moses. God brought blessing through happy and humble ministry. So let me ask you just a couple questions and then we're going to transition to the Lord's Supper. Are you like Moses Are you happily sharing the gospel of salvation with others? And are you like Moses? Are you humbly receiving the advice from others? Blessing comes from those who live happily and humbly in ministry. This time, we're going to transition from Exodus 18 into our New Testament um, experience. example of the gospel. We, we heard 